Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, Merry Christmas Eve, Eve. We're so glad that you're joining us here at Ajax or in Bowmanville or Port Perry or even somewhere else around the world. We're so glad a Merry Christmas to you. As you all know, I love this season. I love decorating. I have four trees in my home. They're mine. The children have their own. They're not allowed to touch those four. And uh, you know that I, I really do appreciate this season, but years ago, there was an invention in the area of Christmas decorations I was not a fan of. It's the inflatables that are uh, now populating our, our world. Um, I used to say years ago, some of you weren't here, I wanted to uh, take a BB gun and start shooting them and deflating them. Um, that's not Christian, I'm a pastor, it's illegal. I would never do that. But. This year, a wicked thing happened in my household, a wicked, terrible thing. There was fake news, there was collusion, uh, there was, see, my children colluded with my father-in-law who conspired with my wife. And so I arrived home and to my shock and horror, there on my lawn was a 16-foot Santa and three inflatable reindeer. I know I had lost at that moment. I mean, we are the world, we are the children. What could I say to the kids? And going against my wife and father-in-law is an unwise move, no wisdom there. So as I was pondering my defeat, looking at the Santa who was inflating and waving at me, the great secular hymn of our time, Santa is coming to town, started going through my mind. Now, I would like to read this secular carol, but I'd like you to pretend you've never heard it before. Just imagine you're hearing this for the very first time. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. Oh, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus, oh, he's coming to town. Oh, he's making a list and he's checking it twice. Oh, he's going to find out who's naughty and who's nice. Oh, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sakes, because Santa is coming to town. I was thinking, wow, Santa is somewhere between a stalker, big brother, a demon-possessed, out-of-control Alexa, something like that. And the heart of the Christmas message is this. If you're not perfect, you get no reward. You, you actually must think right and be good and, and act good all the time and maybe this very dangerous person might reward you, possibly. And as I was looking at that inflatable, inflatable Santa and thinking about that song, I thank God in that moment that that is not the good news of Christianity at all. Because the amazing thing about Christmas is that we're all naughty and we're all crooked and we're all on the naughty list and we've all cried and pouted and we should actually not be getting what we want and yet God is not just holy, God is love. And the amazing thing about God's love is this, that he gives us this thing called grace and grace is an undeserved gift or present. Remember two weeks ago we walked into the Christmas season and we walked through the door of Jesus' family tree 
And we did it out of the book of Matthew. And Jesus' family tree, we discovered, is full of people that were on the naughty list. And as we continued to walk through his family tree, we came out on the other side of his Ancestry.com moment going, if that's Jesus' family tree, then everything might just be okay for us. I mean, his family tree was incredibly mixed up, miraculous, moral, yet sinful, evil, broken families, broken hearts, long-term bitterness, murder, sexual assault, sexual sin, good leaders, bad leaders, liars, cheaters, adultery, heroes, scoundrels, Jews, non-Jews, women, men, faithful, unfaithful, priests, prostitutes, prophets, all made up the family tree of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Then Pastor Joel last week came and talked about Jesus' stepfather, Joseph, A common everyday guy that ends up ushering the savior of the world, literally welcomes Jesus into the world and and he had to still stand in the face of scandal and he still had to adopt Jesus as his own son and most people would not believe the story of a virgin birth and an angel and yet he still takes the bullet because God asked him to. And through that amazing obedience, Jesus comes and then Jesus is adopted by Joseph and then we are adopted into Jesus's family. But now the story of Christmas continues More naughty and undeserving people are included in Jesus' family tree on the other end of the story, and God continues to choose to stitch more unexpected people, another group of people that never should have been included and yet are. If you've ever read the Gospel of Matthew and you've read through the Christmas account, Matthew now turns and reminds all of us that he's not just come for the poor like shepherds, he's also come for the rich, the powerful, the educated, the scientist, the professor. He's come for kings and priests. See, the Christmas story is bookended by the poor and the rich, by by shepherds and wise men, blue collar and white collar, low and high, no privilege and all the privilege of the world. So today we focus on the magi, the famed kings of the East, what many people call the wise men. And here's what God's word reads. Matthew 2, 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, now I've shared this in years before. Herod is the dark side of the Christmas story, a ruthless politician, dictator, Roman collusion, uh, involved in Roman collusion, a Roman puppet, a psychopath, and a paranoid murderer. He kills up to three, half of the Sanhedrin and 300 court officials. He had the high priest and his brother-in-law drowned before his very eyes for sport. He executes his wife, his mother, and three sons. He also executed three of his uncles. And as he lay dying, the arrangement was that every nobleman in the city must die when he breathed his last breath. Merry Christmas, everyone. Wow. And then these wise men come from the east and they say, oh, we've heard that the king of the Jews has been born and he will not be undone by anyone. But they arrive with full of anticipation and expectation, which by the way is the difference between the shepherds and the wise men. The shepherds had no expectation, the wise men are full of it. The scholars tell us that the wise men travel 900 miles to get to Bethlehem. That means that in that time before cars and airplanes and everything else, that was a two-year commitment to travel and they are traveling to go meet a toddler. And so they arrive in Jerusalem expecting excitement and joy and wonder but that's not what they discover. And they say to Herod and the theologians and the pastors of the day in verse two, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Now we always need to do this every year. We need to remind ourselves or discover for the first time who the Magi were. Magi simply means magician. They were found in the countries we now call Iraq, Iran, and the other nations that are in the Arabian Peninsula. 
They would have been exposed to the Jewish faith because many Jews during or just after the time of Daniel, which we just talked about this year, decided not to go back to their ancestral home, but set up communities and stayed. And so there was large Jewish learning centers right across the near ancient Near East. And so Jewish communities were interacting with other communities and scholars were talking. And so the Magi had access to the Jewish faith but more we, we need to understand. Here's how one scholar works this out. Uh, astronomy is the study of the law or movement of stars. Uh, astrology is the study of the message of the stars. Those two disciplines now rightly separated today were combined in the same person in the ancient world. And because their skill, they had skill in deciphering the message of stars, the magi were called wise men. Now this brings again the focus into focus the very scandal of Christmas when we talked about the genealogy of Jesus and even last week with Joseph. Not only were Magi's non-Jews, which by the way would be bad enough to the ancient Jewish worldview, God did not love non-Jewish people unless they themselves converted to Judaism. And even if they converted to Judaism, they would never have full access to the God of the universe like Jews would. So to the Jewish mind, God would never love, let alone a non-Jew, but deeper than that, he would have no time for a magi. God viewed them as dangerous and the enemy. Why? Because in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God forbids astrology because astrology is an occultic practice where you're connecting to supernatural things and you're bypassing God. You're actually engaging with the demonic, whether you believe in it or not. The Bible teaches that. Now, long before these kings came and long before Jesus was born, one of the most famous and authoritative rabbis of his day said this, he who learns from a magi is worthy of death. Now, here's what's even more crazy in the moment. Matthew is a Jew. And Matthew is writing his letter to a Jewish community trying to convince fellow Jews that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith and he is the king of the Jews. So what in the world is Matthew thinking? Why are you including all of these people that you should not be including trying to win people over? I mean, this is a major foot and mouth moment, social blunder and religious faux pas. People would say, Matthew, why in the world are you including this? You already messed up when you wrote the genealogy of Jesus with tons of non-Jews and that. And then you included four women, by the way, and they weren't, non they weren't even Jews. And then all these people, even that were Jews, did all these bad things. And you think that the, the Messiah is gonna come from that line? Oh, and then you told us this story about Joseph and Mary and supposedly a virgin birth and all that. But now you're including Magi also? Let's not forget what we learned two weeks ago. 2,000 years ago, every faithful Orthodox Jewish man would start his day by praying this prayer. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a non-Jew, a slave, or a woman. Amen. That is how they started their, their day, every day. Thank you, God, I'm in the right gender, I'm the right ethnicity, I'm the right faith. Too bad for the rest of them, at least you love me. And into that worldview and into that presupposition, Matthew, who's a Jew, is actually telling the Jewish community God has come for non-Jews and women and slaves and the rest of the world because God called the Jewish people to be a light to the world, not to be exclusive. Now, his Jewish friends and even critics would say, why are you doing this? And like we discovered two weeks ago, the reason why he's doing this is because he would say back to them, you remember who I used to be before I met Jesus, right? See, Matthew's old name was Levi, and Levi was a tax collector. 
And tax collectors 2,000 years ago in the Jewish moment were actually collaborators with an occupational Roman government that regularly oppressed people and crucified people and stole people's stuff. And so Jewish tax collectors were known for mass exploitation, lying, cheating, bribing, and overtaxing their own people. When you chose to become a tax collector as a Jew 2,000 years ago, you immediately were abandoned by your family, you immediately were actually viewed as the enemy of your own people, and you were kicked out of the synagogue system, the church system, and no longer had access to God. In other words, if you wanted to get rich, you had to give up faith and family and ethnicity to get by. And so this man, Matthew, was a collaborator with the Romans. He had given up everything, and yet Jesus walked into his life when he grew up, and he changed his life. And we read this in Matthew. Matthew 9.10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the pastors, the Pharisees, saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responds, it's not healthy who need, the doc- need a doctor, it's sick people. See, Jesus' family tree was a foreshadow of who Jesus was going to reconnect with God the Father. Jesus was going to bring all sorts of people from hated tax collectors to occultic wise men to prostitutes, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free Samaritans, Roman soldiers, religiously inspired terrorists, ostracized lepers, great religious leaders were all going to be welcomed into his family through his birth, through his ministry, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. Matthew says, of course Jesus is family tree was screwed up and mixed up. Of course the people around the Christmas moment were mixed up and screwed up. And the after effects are exactly the same. God is stitching us as a human family back together, but it can only be done with one who has power to do it. And his name is Jesus and he's from Nazareth and he can make a broken thing new and he can make patchwork beautiful once again. So 900 miles later, They come to find the child and notice what they do not ask for. They don't say, oh, where's the place where history was changed? Where's the monument? Where's the book? Where's the moral code? They say, where's the person? Where is the one who has been born? We have seen his star. We need to talk about the star once again. Not only did that physically happen 2,000 years ago, but it was predicted so long ago. Oh, by the way, to understand the New Testament, you have to read the Old Testament. One Old Testament story mirrors and prepares the world for this moment. Here's how one Old Testament scholar puts it. When Moses was leading Israel through the desert to the promised land, he encountered another wicked king who, like Pharaoh of Egypt, tried to destroy Moses and God's people. His name was Balak, king of Moab, and he summoned from the east a famous seer named Balaam to use his magical arts against Moses and Israel. Now, Balaam was a non-Israelite, an occultic visionary, a practicer of magic. In sort, he would be called a magi in Jesus' time. He and two servants came, but instead of cursing Moses and Israel, he had a favorable vision of him. And here's how it reads in Numbers 24. I see him, oh, but not now. I, I behold him, but not near, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. So Balaam comes from the east, just like the Magi. He uses supernatural arts, just like the Magi. He predicts a star which symbolizes one who will come, whose rule will never be stopped. And here's what we've got to regain today or or reimagine today. God will use anything to draw people to himself. God will begin their journey starting where they're at, but he will never leave them where they are. And by the way, have you ever asked the question, what star did they see? 
See, the heavens themselves were declaring that things were happening over Israel, and, and those who did this for a living would be profoundly aware something unique is happening. But for the skeptic here today or the seeker, you're going, fine, it's in the Bible, but is it found anywhere else outside of the Bible? Yes. Here's how one person put it. Some scholars think the star was the light produced by a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn that happened three times in 7 BC. Such a celestial event would have been of particular interest in that time because Jupiter was associated with a kingly rule and Saturn had been assigned to the Jewish people. The Magi, to the Magi, a star or the star of Bethlehem was a sign that a glorious kingdom was about to dawn. And where? From the Jewish people. Others say, no, it's not the alignment, it's a comet. Others point to a supernova that's recorded both, both by Chinese and Korean astronomers in 5 BC. Others say, no, no, you've missed the whole point. Actually, the whole thing literally was an angel in the sky, and God was using this angelic being to work this out. Well, no matter what it was, here's what we are learning. God has started a new thing. The sustainer of creation is beginning to declare it has begun and never forget how profound this is because if you read the last book in the Bible, Jesus' best friend, John, at 90 years old, meets his best friend, Risen, and this is how Jesus describes himself in Revelation twenty-two sixteen: 16. I, Jesus, am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning what? Star. So back to the star in nature, natural or supernatural. One thing we always need to be reminded, those experiences... Never give a full witness of who God is. You cannot find God through nature alone. You cannot find God through experiences alone. Oh, they open the door, they start the conversation, but they are the beginning, not the end. Knowing God is like a two-level house. And by the way, if you're checking out Christianity or, or, or you're a spiritual person or maybe you're an atheist or agnostic here, listen to this. Knowing God is like a two-level house. Through nature, you can know there is a God. He's an artist, a mathematician. He's a God of order and creation. You can even through supernatural experiences know that there is something more going on and something is active. It's what theologians call general revelation but to move to the second level of the house you need something more you need God to introduce himself to you through his word through his people and other means then you can know his name then you can know his nature then you can know he is love then you can know he's holy then you can hear him then you can actually know his expectations for you you'll know he's one yet triune see the star was moving these educated wealthy spiritually minded scientists to towards the one that had created both the natural and the supernatural. And so they come to meet him 900 miles later and they're walking up the stairs to the second level just to meet one person. Well, it says in the book of Matthew, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. All Jerusalem with him also. And, and when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they replied in Bethlehem of Judea, for, for this is what the prophet wrote. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem. He said, you go and you make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, you report back to me, so I may go and I may worship him. Now this shows the ruthlessness and the cunning of Herod. Herod is at once to murder this two-year-old. He wants no rival at all, and he's using people in their religious excitement to actually guard his own throne. 
But what's even more shocking is this, and it really stood out to me this year. The Magi walk and speak to all the best theologians and pastors of the day. These Jewish men had the word of God more than the non-Jewish world had. They had the access to God's presence, the temple, holy history, the Ten Commandments. They had everything. And so they talk about this, and they know the place, and this whole conversation. And yet, do you notice in the story, not one of the insiders is moved to go see if it's true. Not one of them goes, we must also go see if this is true. We need to go see if the faith fulfillment that we've been waiting for, for hundreds and thousands, it's now begun. They don't move. It takes outsiders to go see if it's true or not. So after they heard the king, verse 9, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, this moment has been on, in so many movies and on so many Christmas cards, it gets ruined for us. So let me work this out. Number one, Jesus is two years old at this moment. He's not a little baby. So the shepherds and the wise men never met. Problem one, okay. Number two is this. Bethlehem is a nothing little hamlet of a town. It's not a profound town. So it, it, what we, here we, we would say is it would have one stoplight and if they were lucky, maybe a Tim Hortons and that's it, okay? So can you imagine... One morning, it's like 15 homes, everyone's there, and nine black SUVs all drive up. Security get out. People, can you imagine? Guys start getting out. They've got Burberry and Gucci suits. You have no clue what's going on. They're checking the environment to make sure it's okay. Security's knocking on the door. There's Mary and Joseph. Are they able to be shot? We don't know what's going on. And in walk these men of profound influence. And what do they do? They look at this little toddler who I'm sure was screaming or pooping or putting his hand in his mouth or something. And at that moment when they see him, they worship him. They worship Jesus. These powerful, wealthy, educated, supernaturally inclined scientists come with all their wealth and power and they bow down in a nothing of a home and they worship a toddler. This is the greatest act beyond all the gifts because it symbolizes the truth we need to recover at this moment in our world. There is only one king and his name is Jesus and all others are second to him. Now Mary and Joseph are good Orthodox Jews who know that only God is to be worshipped and any other person who is worshipped that is blasphemy, that is wrong, that is sin, they should have stopped These men from bowing, not just giving homage, but worshiping their little boy. And not only this, because we don't know this today. They believed as Orthodox Jews that you were spiritually contaminated by who was in your home and who ate with you. It was against the religious rules for non-Jews to be in a Jewish home. They should have stopped these wise men from even being in their home because that would make them sullied before God. But not only do they let these sullying people walk into their home, they allow them to worship their child and this is blasphemy and violates the whole Jewish faith unless Joseph and Mary knew something that we now know, that this little boy is not just a boy. He's fully God and fully man. He's the creator in flesh. So this honest, real moment happens. They bow down and they honor and they worship Jesus and then the foundation of what we celebrate in the next 48 hours begins. The great gift giving begins and they open their treasures and they presented Jesus with gold, incense, and myrrh. Now, these were given to kings. These were not normal gifts. This is not what you got at Walmart. And they brought them and they laid them before Jesus. But in these three gifts, 
we see the nature and the identity and the reality of Jesus. Gold given to kings. Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And every person who has ever lived, when they die and when he returns, they will face him because he is king. Incense is also where we get the the frankincense from. It was a gum resin that was burned and used to make homes smell sweet. But in Israel, frankincense was only allotted to one task. In Israel, frankincense was only used in the temple to actually offer incense or worship to God and symbolized the prayers of God's people. And these pagan scientists basically bring incense to Jesus. And what is being declared here is that the God who has been worshiped in the Jerusalem temple for generations is now found in flesh. And this helps us understand why John, when he writes his gospel, starts the Christmas story like this in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word took on or became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then, of course, myrrh was used in Israelite culture to embalm bodies. It was used when someone died. And this is the great symbol that Jesus has come to live, to die, to live again, and overcome death. But all of this also was predicted. 700 years before this moment took place, the prophet Isaiah said these words in Isaiah 63, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of God. But then verse 12 clarifies the story for us more. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi returned to their country by another route. The Magi, of course, are the least likely candidates for God's love. Yet notice, everything changes for them. The one place everything epicenter changes is when these highly intelligent, religiously informed, political men of high social status bow and accept Jesus. And let me just stop and say this, because this is critical. If you uh, come from a church tradition, I know many of you don't, but for you who do, This is so profound and needed, especially at the Christmas moment. Because lots of people say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I was three years old. I went to Sunday school. I prayed a prayer. Listen, if your life has never changed, you've never met Jesus. Just like the wise men, after they met Jesus, they did not go back the one route. They go to another route. When you profoundly meet Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Lord, listen, you may have inherited faith. You might come from a country that's Christian by name. Listen, that's irrelevant. Christianity is when you as a person radically encounter the same Jesus the Magi did, and he changes your heart, and you will never go back to your old life because that's a way of death and sin. And you say, no, I now over a lifetime follow Jesus Christ. If you have no evidence of faith, there is no faith in you. But if you have encountered Jesus over time through his spirit you will see life changed my question is are you even a christian this christmas because so many people have the title but don't have him in his heart now when we enter in to the next 24 hours there is some stuff for us to recall and to celebrate and reflect on and here's the first thing i'd like us all to reflect on it's this if you are a christian here today and i know many of you are Let us be reminded again that we are stitched together by Jesus himself. We have something as Christians that everyone else is still trying to produce, and they cannot. Religion says that if we're good enough, God will like us, and if we're all religious together, we're all going to get along. How's that working for you? Not so good. 
Political affiliation, science, education, even political or religious revolution has not brought people fully together. But here's the difference between Jesus and every military incursion and Jesus and every philosophical revolution and religion on earth. Jesus doesn't give us a moral code. Jesus doesn't say we're all going to conform outwardly. Jesus changes the core of our heart. And the story of Christmas points us to the coming reality called the church. God calls shepherds and and pagan-influenced wise men and, and Orthodox Jewish parents around the same Jesus to become family. That motley hodgepodge of people begins to form what we see. See, this is what church is all about. People that have godly history and people that have ungodly history. People that are educated and uneducated. Jews and non-Jews, slave and free, women and men, all start rallying around this person named Jesus because they've all personally encountered him. And when you've personally encountered him, God makes people who would never hang out with each other family because he is rebuilding humanity through his work because he's the only one who has the power to do so. Galatians 3.28, Paul wrote these words. Once he was an enemy of Christianity, killed Christians, jailed Christians, he encountered Jesus, and he says, there is neither Jew or non-Jew, slave or free, male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, an heir to according to the promise. And why does this matter? Because we all still need to be reminded at this Christmas moment that we must guard the unity, not just of C4 as a local church, but unity with other Christians because we have something the world is desperate for. When we gather, we must continue to love each other, forgive each other, and demonstrate that our outward visible demonstration of unity is not some natural thing that's conformed, but it's actually a supernatural internal thing because we are bound together by Jesus. Our world is desperate for peace. Our world is desperate for unity, but the only person who has the power to do that is Jesus, and those who rally around Jesus and meet him will become brothers and sisters in Jesus, and we can show the world there is something more powerful, more beautiful, and more meek, and it's called the church, because around Jesus we gather in a unity that makes no sense. Can you say amen to that today? Such a beautiful thing we have to be reminded about at Christmas. But also as we gather around Jesus as baby, we must also be honest about who Jesus is. So many of you here today are seekers or skeptics, or maybe you have the title Christian historically, but you don't really know him. Maybe you come from another faith. But Jesus in his birth and his life and his teachings and his acts and his claims and his death and his physical resurrection and his ascension, they have always divided people. And you must decide See, the star in the story signals the great contrast. The Magi are included in the story and in the new family of Jesus, but Herod and the religious clergy who knew better actually chose not to be connected and they responded fearfully to Jesus. See, when you come face to face with Jesus and his claims, there is no middle ground. Either he's God in flesh or he's not. Either he's the savior of the world or he's not. Either he's the only way back to the father or he's not. In other words, you must come face to face with Jesus and say, yes, you are who you are and I want you or no, I don't believe who you are. I do not want you. See, God had decided to stitch those men, those magi into his story to weave them into his ongoing family. And if God would love them and want them and meet them and make him part of family, then anyone can come home, which is so incredibly amazing. 
But here's what I want many of you to reflect on over this Christmas season. Many of you genuinely want purpose in your life, but you've decided the journey is more important than the destination. You actually are stuck on the journey. So many of you are stuck with the star. As I hang out with so many people that say, oh, I, I'm okay with supernatural or God or something, but I just like nature. And I'm like, great, I'm so glad you do. But nature isn't the end point, it's the beginning point. Other people say, oh no, I'm really spiritual and I, I'm mindful and I do yoga and I, so, f- fine. But listen, that is actually not where purpose is found. So many people in this room and in other rooms and so many people in our culture are so caught up where they stop the journey at the beginning, nature or spiritual experiences, and that's where they reside. But all those things are trying to point you to something more significant, something more profound. It's like you walk into a beautiful museum and you see one of the most amazing paintings ever painted, and you're so obsessed by the painting, and the, the person who painted it literally is beside you. are like, no, no, I have no time for you. I love the painting. He's like, but I produced it. Yeah, 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 shh. I want to the colors. He's like, I invented the colors. Yeah, yeah, sure you did. No, he's right there. Don't get stuck on the star. Don't get stuck in the forest. Don't get stuck being mindful. Go to the one who actually is the creator of all things and you can find life. 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 And don't just get stuck on the star. Remember, the Magi were not just supernaturalists. They also were men of great learning and intellect. In this church, we have no problem. We actually are for a robust faith that struggles through intellect and science and history. We're not afraid of doubt in this church. We welcome it. And so many of you, again, who are working and trying to work this through, you actually are not stuck in nature or spiritual experiences. You're just stuck in continually trying to find all the facts. And once you get 100%, oh, then you'll believe. Hold on. Do all your homework. Yes, no problem. We would love to help you, lead you to scholars and leaders to help you think through all that. But remember what faith means. Faith doesn't mean blind luck. And faith doesn't mean you cross your fingers and hope this is true, but really it's pie in the sky and unicorns. No, Faith in a Christian worldview means informed trust. When you have facts and experiences and then you say, now I still cross over. And God is inviting some of you, even one person right now, to move from the star and the nature and the fact finding which the Magi represent to actual encounter. Here are the most famous words in the Bible. For God so loved the world, this is the Christmas story, that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in Jesus will not die, but will have everlasting life. Oh, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Oh, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because you choose not to believe in the name of God's one and only son. This is the moment, whether you expected it or not, this is like the star in the sky. On this Christmas Eve, Eve, God has come close to you in this moment. And he's saying, my son is who he actually was and is. And if you have actually never embraced him, maybe you have great religious history, no religion, but you have never actually knelt and humbled yourself before Jesus, admitted not only who he is, but admitted your need, this is this moment. And so I'm just gonna ask across all of our communities, could you bow your head? And if you already know Jesus, just pray. But if you have never said yes, humble yourself and pray this. Say, dear God, Just say, thank you for sending your son Jesus so I could know who God is. And actually, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being with me my whole life and I didn't even know it. I realize I need a savior to set me free from sin, 
Oh, and my stuff, and I'll add my habits and hurts and hang-ups. So just, would you forgive me of my sin if that's possible? Would you clean me? I repent, I turn. And I now want to know you, and I want to walk with you. Uh, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, and save me by your grace. I now know I don't need to be perfect to know you. You've decided to save me anyway. Save me from my sins. Save me for your purposes. I want to learn to love you, trust you, and become what I'm supposed to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. For many of us, uh, we've already said yes, and we're followers of Jesus. And here's where I just want to end, because this is just uh, so important. So I don't know if you've reflected on it. Uh, Probably haven't had the time because you're running and rapping and all the things. In the next 48 hours, billions of people are going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Have you thought about that? Billions. The story of Jesus is going to be chanted and sung in cathedrals and large churches and house churches. Little kids are going to dress up like donkeys and Gabriel and all sorts of stuff. But in hundreds of nations, in hundreds of languages, Jesus the Nazarene is going to be celebrated. And we need to take a moment to do two things. Number one, I want to say this to you again. I love uh, just what we've been hearing in our community. If you have not taken the time to invite someone, do it. Do it. My kids and I and my wife, we did it all this week with different people. You have no clue what God is doing in someone's life. The Magi should have never come, and they did. And so if you've not taken the time to text, just today, text, email, just say come. And by the way, we're praying for all the communities in this region. I'd be great if they went to another church and heard the good news of Jesus. This is not a competition. Go team. But just deeply pray and ask God to bring neighbors and friends. But the other thing we need to do, and this would just be a global moment, we need to, as a church, take a moment to pray for what's going to happen around the world in the next 24 hours. Like, the world is pretty screwed up. Anyone want to say that's true? And pretty dangerous and scary. And there's a lot of bad going on. But for the next 24 to 48 hours, billions of people on social media, on television, on radio, and in relationships are going to hear the good news of Jesus. And he's the answer to all the darkness in our world. There is no other answer. He changes human hearts, no one else. And so it doesn't matter if it's in a huge cathedral where a priest is reading the scriptures or it's sung in a traditional choir or a little more like irrelevant. Let's ask together as God's community for the Holy Spirit to be poured out around the world to see the world change. Could you you stand with me and could we pray this together? Because it's just such a critical time and we miss it. So God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, one God, we're so thankful that you didn't leave us alone. (laughs) that you sent Jesus Christ. Thank you. And thank you, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So here's our prayer. Number one, for all our friends, families, enemies, neighbors, coworkers that we've invited, God, break through. (laughs) Uh, For others that we haven't invited, open up doors literally today, this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow. We're also even gonna pray another bold prayer. God, would people literally walk into churches because they're just drawn by your spirit? And here's our last request. Uh, Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, around the world in the next 48 hours and fill every church and every community and every Christian and may the light of Jesus shine so brightly in the midst of war and brokenness and racism and hate. May your church shine. May people who hate Jesus 
meet Jesus and become saved. May people of other religions who are working day in and day out to prove themselves to God find that grace is true through Jesus. May atheists who have no belief in God not only know there is a God suddenly, but meet him through Jesus Christ. We pray for agnostics who live their life wondering, resolve it, Lord, in their mind. Come, Holy Spirit, bring the good news of Jesus from every corner of the earth. We ask this because this is why Jesus was brought, so tax collectors and magi and Orthodox Jewish parents could come home to Jesus. Thank you, you've not abandoned us. May the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God be found on earth in the next 48 hours as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen, amen. Let's sing to Jesus now, our, 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 our lover of our souls, the, the King of Kings. Let's gather together and do this. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.